We're looking forward to, to answering some of those questions and continuing this series called You Asked For It. And uh, so we're, we're going to start with some of those questions that, uh, we've, uh, that you've already sent in. And then uh, at the end of the message, we're going to try really, really hard uh, to, to get to some of the questions that, uh, that are, are text in tonight. You can text in your question at uh, 723-5662. So uh, you can, can text your question in there. And uh, if, if we don't have a chance to, to answer that tonight or in this series, we're going to uh, try to find another way that, that um, we can... That, there it is. <laughs> we're going to find a way that we can answer some of those questions in another way, and so we're, we're looking forward to that. So uh, we're going to get started in, in these questions here, and uh, we're going to start with one that... Um, well, actually, maybe I should... Do you have anything that you'd like to say since my mic was out? <laughs> well, I just want to say uh, thanks to everybody for all the questions you've been given. I just, I really have been blessed by the heart behind the questions. Um, just really sense a desire to grow and to learn and to understand God's Word. And so, isn't it fun to study God's Word? Mm-hmm. Amen? Yeah. And so, that's what we're going to do together again this weekend. Uh, next weekend is our last weekend in the series, so... Uh, it's gone by quickly, but uh, we do want to jump right into things here in just a moment. But I, I do want to say um, that I hope that this doesn't come across as uh, New Hope's uh, way or Pastor Robbie's opinion. Uh, we're going to do the best we can to open God's Word and really just say to the best of our ability, what does God's Word say about these things? So, uh, so that's what we're going to do. That's what we've been doing this series. If you're new... Uh, it's kind of a little bit of a different format, but hopefully it'll be refreshing to you to see that, look, in God's family, we just open up God's Word and we look at what it says about our lives. Amen? Amen. Right. So, so let's look at this, this first question, and, and really it regards a very serious topic that, that many people are wondering about, and, and it relates to suicide. Hmm. So someone asked this question, if a Christian commits suicide, will he or she still go to heaven? Wow. That's a big question, amen? Um, and honestly, it's something that we hear ask a decent amount uh, because unfortunately we do hear about people taking their lives so often. If you remember a week or two ago, I can't remember which week it was, but we talked about the fact that the Bible says if you have given your life to Jesus Christ, that you are a child of God. Once you are born into His family, you cannot be taken out of His family. And so I'm not going to read those verses, but I'll just uh, refer you back to Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 39. Thankfully, what can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus? Paraphrase it for me. Nothing. Nothing, right? That's what the Bible says. That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. But the Bible does say that even though we're saved, even though we are children of God, we can make big mistakes. Amen? All of us who have given our life to Christ are still sinners. And we make wrong choices. And we talked about that some of those choices, uh, sin is sin, and it all separates us from God. But some of those choices have a greater impact or maybe larger consequences. Think about the finality of that sin, that decision to take our life. That's final. There's no going back from that. And so it's, it's a very abrupt, it's, a, it's decisive, 
And it also has a, a large impact. We've seen, as many of us being the people that were left behind with a loved one that we lost, we've seen the impact of that and the hurt that comes from that. So, yes, you can be saved uh, and go to heaven after committing suicide. But I, I, would, I, I want to give really, really a lot of caution with that. This is not saying it's okay. This is not saying, well, maybe that's an option. Friends, the Bible says that that person who took their life is going to stand before Christ and give an account for their life. In addition to that, think of the reward that was lost from their life. The negative impact that that decision had, the repercussions of that, and the loss of opportunity for whatever plan God had left for them on this earth, they lost that opportunity. Now, some way or another, God will work that out and it'll be heaven for them. Okay, I'm not saying that heaven's going to be a negative, but the Bible does seem to indicate that there is reward in heaven and that we can have loss of reward. So that's not something to be taken lightly. To say, hey, I'm going to heaven, but I don't really care about anything else. That's not really the approach we want to take. We want to follow the Lord. Amen? We want to honor God. Part of that is I'm going to heaven but really, I want, to, I want to do everything I can to point as many people as I can to Jesus, not to discourage anybody. Uh, and and by, suicide has a ripple effect, too. Um, it causes other people to feel like maybe they don't have hope. So we just need to be very, very careful about that. But ultimately, the question is, can anything separate us from God? The Bible seems to indicate when you give your life to Jesus Christ, there is nothing that could ever separate. And by the way, I believe that many of those Christians... Half a second later, as they entered eternity, said, Oh my goodness. I'm sorry, Lord. What did I just do? And so we don't want to make those decisions. So we want to be uh, confident that, that we're secure in the Lord, but we don't want to take that lightly. So, so really the, the issue of heaven and salvation is, is set and secure, but it really is a big deal, isn't it? You know, there's, um, there's something that, that uh, all of us have struggled with at one point in our lives or another, and, and someone asked it in this way about unanswered prayer. They said, how do we keep from getting discouraged when our prayers don't seem to be answered, even for years? Can anybody relate to that? And, and those people that can just took a deep breath, Right? Wow, there's a lot of pain, there's a lot of question, there's a lot of hurt that goes into that. Unanswered prayers, how do we deal with that? Well, first of all, I want to encourage you, the Bible says absolutely categorically, 1 Peter 5, verse 7, the Bible says that God cares for you. So the enemy wants to make us think that God doesn't care, that He's not paying attention, that He's not interested, or even that He's against us. But whatever is going on with my prayers not being answered, at least from my viewpoint, you should never question if God cares. The cross tells you God would go to the greatest of lengths to do whatever it takes for your best interests. Amen? The Bible also tells us that God is faithful. I want to read you a couple of passages about it. Lamentations chapter 3, verses 19 through 25. By the way, Lamentations, doesn't that sound sad? Okay, so this is not a happy book. In Lamentations, it says, 
Remember my affliction and my wandering, the wormwood and bitterness. Okay, so there's that hurt and pain. Surely my soul remembers and is bowed down within me. Okay, so there, there's the pain, the difficulty. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So the Bible says God cares about us. The, God, the Bible says God has not left us. That God is faithful to us. And the Bible says that no matter what is going on in our lives, we can trust God. Let me read you another passage. Hebrew, uh, Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17. Could you say this? It's my goal to get to this place. Though the fig tree should not blossom, and there be no fruit on the vines, in today's language, I didn't get paid this week. Okay? Though there's no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olives should, should fail, and the fields produce no food, though the flocks should be cut off from the fold, and there be no cattle in the stalls, yes, I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. So the Bible says that we can trust in the Lord, and that He is faithful, that He is good. And no matter what your circumstances say, Friend, you are going to get to a point in your life where your circumstances say, God has abandoned me or I should give up. And you cannot trust your circumstances. But you can trust God and His promises. The last thing I would say is Jesus said, never stop praying. Never give up on praying. Let me read a passage out of Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. It says he was telling them a parable about uh, tell, telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart. You hear that? So never stop praying, never give up. And then he tells a story about a lady, an older lady, and she needed some help, and she went to this judge, and the judge wasn't a good judge, and she was begging him to hear her case. And he was like, "Lady, would you?" I'm, I'm paraphrasing. Okay, this is the Pastor Robbie version. He's like, lady, would you just please leave me alone? You know, I don't want to hear your case. But because she was so persistent, the judge finally said, okay, lady, what do you need? I'll help you. This is what Jesus said. For a while he was unwilling, but afterward he said, even though I do not fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. (laughs) This lady's going to wear me out. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge said. Okay, dear friend, that's been holding on for years. Now will God not bring about justice for His elect who cry to Him day and night? And will He delay long over them? I tell you that He will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on the earth? What He's saying is, will you trust Me? Sometimes it doesn't make sense, but God has not abandoned you. Abandon you, will you trust him? By the way, I love to, to tell the story about George Mueller, great man of prayer. He prayed for 52 years for five of his friends. In his lifetime, he finally saw, I believe one of them was right towards the end, the fourth, and within a few months after his death, he never saw it here on this earth, but within a few months after his death, the fifth one came to Christ. After 52 years of faithful praying. What a great example. Amen. Amen.
To have such examples like that that we can look at and say, okay, I can do this. Amen. <laughs> I can continue and, and be faithful in this. Yeah, by the way, my unanswered prayers are like 14 days, right? Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> God, what are you doing, right? God, what, what's taking so long? It's been a couple months, whatever. So when you hear about a guy that's been praying for 50 years, it helps to enlarge your, your borders a little bit. Mm-hmm. So we're going to move on to this, this next question. We're going to spend a little bit more time on this one because it's something that we hear a lot about in our culture and in our popular uh, media today. And, and so it has to do with homosexuality and uh, the issue of transgenders. Uh, what does the Bible say about these topics? So here's, here's I guess, some of the questions. How, is homosexuality wrong? Is it wrong to be transgendered? And some wonder, why would those things even be wrong? Okay. Before we talk about this, I want to say, first of all, I don't mean this to be ugly, but I'm just saying it because of the way Christians are sometimes. Um, Please, no extra applauding or amens or anything like that during this section. Because for some reason, we Christians like to sort of hone in on certain things and not focus on other things. So we just need to be careful about having favorite things that we're against. Um, we do need to talk about what the Bible says about it, but we need to be careful in our attitude towards those things. I say that lovingly, but I do want to just say that. Um, the Bible does teach that homosexuality is wrong, that it is not something that God created for us to experience. And I'll give you a couple of passages. Uh, Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22. It's very clear. The Bible says, You shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female. It is an abomination. It was very clear there, other places in the Old Testament. Then when we flip over to the New Testament, in the book of Romans, chapter 1, verses, starting in verse 24, the Bible's describing sin. The Bible's describing uh, the, how deep in sin we get as human beings. It says, Therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts, the desires of their hearts, to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them over to degrading passions. For the women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire one toward another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over. Again, there's just sort of this... The picture there is not completely homosexuality. The picture there is sin in general. And how sin just continues, just kind of like a drain. It just continues just to sort of, you know, just take us down as, as human beings. And the Bible says as we make those choices, God allows us, if we want to get deeper and deeper, God allows us to do that. But obviously the Bible is teaching there that homosexuality is not God's intention for us as human beings. Now as far as being transgender, the Bible teaches in Genesis chapter 1 verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. The Bible makes it very, it's really interesting when you go back and read the Bible, especially the book of Genesis. Some of the biggest questions, the book of Genesis is the book of beginnings. Many things that we wonder about are answered in Genesis, and by the way, answered very clearly. Because, hey, God kind of knew what we were going to be asking in 2016, amen? So he makes it very clear, he created us 
male and female. And then specifically, there's a verse in Deuteronomy 22, verse 5. A woman shall not wear man's clothing, nor shall a man put on woman's clothing. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. So obviously, if we just read the Bible, the Bible teaches very clearly that homosexuality is not God's plan for us. And being transgender, crossing genders or changing genders is not God's plan for us. I will be honest with you that people try to explain those things away. Okay, let me give you one. If you go to college, young person, you're going to go to college. And and I went to a Christian college that was very liberal. uh, And I didn't realize what I was getting myself into. I quickly learned that some people call themselves Christians but don't believe the Bible. This college said, hey, did you know that actually the sin of Sodom, we've heard about Sodom and Gomorrah, you can go back and read it in the Old Testament. The sin of Sodom was not homosexuality. They say, if you actually study the culture and go back and read more closely, Mr. Dr. Professor Expert is going to educate you that the sin of Sodom was not being hospitable. And that may sound silly to you if you've never heard it, but it's a very serious answer. Many people are asserting today that the reason God judged Sodom was because they were not hospitable to strangers. Now that was part of it. I'm not going to lie. That was part of it, that they were not welcoming to other people. But we don't think of Sodom because of not being welcome, right? We think of it very specifically for the reason that is mentioned in the book of Genesis. In fact, I saw a Christian website this week that alluded to that. Hey, did you know you've heard that it was homosexuality, but actually Sodom was because they just weren't nice to strangers. Um, so you need to be educated that there are people, Christians, that are purporting those things. The other thing that you hear very often is, well, that's the Old Testament. Okay? Uh, so we as Christians, as New Testament Christians, we don't follow the Old Testament. Well, that's, that's kind of, sort of, not true and not true, okay? What does that mean? Well, let's talk about, first of all, all of these, <clears throat> these verses I just read have parallels in the New Testament, right? We just read Romans, and the one about uh, Genesis, God created them male and female. We're going to quote that here in just a minute. It's in Matthew 19. So it's not just the Old Testament, but let's go with that for just a moment. Uh, that's in the Old Testament. The Bible has precepts, write this down, then pro- principles, and they're based on a person. Okay, so a precept is a specific commandment. Some of those are moral commandments. Some of those in the Old Testament are ceremonial commandments. And some of those are civic commandments. All right, so some of those ceremonial or civic We're not the nation of Israel. We're not walking on the way of the promised land. So some of the specific civic laws that they had, yes, we do not follow specifically as our civic law. The moral law, which by the way, sexuality is under that. But let's just say, even if it wasn't part of the moral law, moral law encompasses, it's not just for the nation of Israel, specifically. But even if it was, The precept generally gives us a principle, and that principle is based on the person of God. So when God says something in the Old Testament, 
It might be a moral, it might be a civic or ceremonial religious law for the nation of Israel, but it doesn't mean it's not important. When we read the book of Leviticus, there are great lessons to learn. Now, admittedly, it can be a little hard to read, right? Some of the minutiae of some of the law that Israel had to follow, but yet it's based on something coming out of the character of God. So that doesn't mean that it's wasted to study those things. So we just need to be very careful about that. All of God's Word, let's just put it this way, is valuable. Amen? There's something we can learn from everything that God's Word teaches to us. It's important for us to realize, though, that sometimes we see things as clearly wrong. I think everybody in this room would say murder is wrong. I think everybody in this room would say stealing is wrong. There might be other things that we don't see as wrong. Homosexuality, by many people today, is not seen as wrong. You see things on Facebook or you see popular media, love wins, right? How could you keep two people from being together when they love each other? So it seems obvious to us that, hey, there's, it seems like to us, to many people, that homosexuality is not wrong. But we need to back up and think about the bigger picture. God has a design for things. This is very important. God has a plan for the way He's made things. And they only work right when we go according to God's plan. So I can say I want to put milk in my car, go to Stewart's, put milk in my car, but it's not going to work right. It's not going to function right. So we can choose to go against God's design. But we need to realize that God designed it for a reason because it's, it's what's best for us. It's what's going to be the blessing for us. And so when we choose things that go against God's design, that's going to bring hurt either to us or on a larger scale to other people or, or likely to both. There was a time when homosexuality was seen on a large scale as clearly wrong. Okay, now that's not the case as much. Um, and so we have to trust God's design, not necessarily how we feel or our opinion. By the way, this is going to seem obvious to some of you. You're going to think, absolutely not. The next steps for us, if we go this path, the next steps for us are, probably the next one would be multiple marriages. That people would have the ability to have multiple spouses. The next step after that is probably children and adults. The next step after that is probably bestiality. Right now, we would say, absolutely not. I could never imagine that happening. But those are the next steps. That are co- There's a point, if we're just going to be completely free, if we're going to let anything go, then you cannot limit what anyone says they feel led to do or they feel is right to do. And so our founders realized that in order to be uh, the society that we have, we really need God's perspective to inform it. Um, I do want to recognize, though, that there are some people here today, very likely, who struggle with homosexuality. And all of us have sins that we struggle with. All of us have bents. All of us have leanings. All of us have weaknesses. All of us have temptations. 
And to be honest with you, I think it's more prevalent now because it has been pushed upon us so much as a viable choice, especially with young people. It's become so normative that now when I'm struggling, that is an option for me to kind of lean towards. Uh, But the Bible promises no matter what it is, 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13, if it is not God's will for your life, God has another way for you. And I would just say, if you're struggling with that, God wants to help you with that. Um, God has a way for you out of that. We want to help you with that. It's a sin, just like all of us struggle with sin. But it is a sin, and God wants to help you to uh, move beyond that and find His purpose and His design for your life. Those are some some really... um, I mean, we're hearing it all over the place, conversations about this. And so it's good to have some of that scripture to go to and say, Mm -hmm. okay, uh, where can I uh, stand firm on, on God's word and... And uh, kind of have that have that understanding. We're, we're going to do one or more, uh, one or two more shorter uh, questions, and then uh, if we have time, we're going to do a couple of those live questions as well today. Good, because uh, I got my easy button. There you go. That's right. So the next one is is uh, also a very common question that people wonder about, and it, it relates to divorce and remarriage. And the question is: Are there ever biblical grounds for divorce and remarriage? Again, a great question. Very practical, very common. Uh, what I'm going to do is what Jesus did first. When Jesus was asked this question, he focused not on that question. He focused on God's purpose in marriage. Okay, so let's read that first. Matthew chapter 19, verses uh, 3 through 6. Some Pharisees, some religious leaders came to Jesus testing him and asking, and they didn't have a pure heart in asking their question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And he answered and said, now listen, they said, can a man divorce his wife for any reason? And by the way, there's background to this. They were having debates about this as religious leaders. So they wanted Jesus to enter into that debate and get him in trouble. So they said, is there any reason that you would give that a person can get divorced? And he answered and said, have you not read? They were supposed to be religious leaders. Jesus said, haven't you read the book? Have you not read that he who made them, created them from the beginning, made them male and female? There's that we mentioned earlier out of Genesis 127. He created them male and female and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together Let no one separate. Okay, so what did Jesus do? His answer to, Lord, when is it okay for us to get divorced and to be remarried? What was his answer? Well, honestly, guys, it was never my intention for you to get divorced. Right? So we want to get to the question, and he did. But we need to keep keep the focus where it needs to be, right? This is not a bad thing. It's a wonderful thing. And God wants us to focus on the thing He created and shoot for that. Nevertheless, there is the question. So let's look at what He said. They said to Him, Why then, if that's the case, did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it has not been this way. Because of sin, because we live in a world where there are struggles and difficulties... Uh, Between people, God, it says, permitted them to divorce their wives, but from the beginning it was not been this way. 
And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for immorality, that's basically any sexual sin, and marries another, marries another woman, commits adultery. It appears in God's Word, as best I can tell, that God gives two exceptions for divorce and remarriage. One is sexual sin. He says it right here. In the case of sexual sin, it appears that God says it is allowable, it is not required. And by the way, we've got great examples in our church family and all throughout history of people who've worked through even those struggles. Where there's been infidelity, or there's been pornography, or there's been wrong choices that have been made. Uh, God seems to allow for that, but it's not required. And it's a beautiful thing when God brings that healing and restoration. Uh, The other situation that we find is in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 15. I'm not going to read that one, but basically it's it's given the situation specifically. uh, If an unbelieving spouse leaves a believer, it says uh, the believer in this case is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. So what Christians have typically called this is the case of desertion. Uh, When a spouse, now it says specifically an unbelieving spouse, but I believe probably the situation, when a spouse leaves, when, here's the way I say it, you can't tie someone down. You can't chain them to the door. You can't make them stay. Now be careful. Let's don't use that as an easy out, right? Okay, I make a little bit of effort and oh well, it didn't work out. So that's between you and the Lord. We have to answer to God for our heart. But I think what the Lord's saying is there are some situations in the case of sexual immorality that one flesh union has been so violated that God allows for the possibility that someone could not recover from that and could be divorced and be remarried. In the case of a spouse leaving, if your spouse leaves and there's no... Again, where's that line, right? It's a little bit, how do you know when's enough? How do you know how long to wait? And by the way, I know people that have waited for years and years and decades. Now, I'm not imposing that because God seems to give us freedom. But uh, we just, before the Lord, have to answer, what do I believe? I've honored God. I've done the best I can uh, to honor the Lord with my commitment. Here's the main thing that I would say in divorce, in, in marriage, in really any relationship. You don't be the one keeping reconciliation from happening. Did you hear that? If there's a problem in a relationship, God help me not to be the reason it's not being resolved. Right? So that's the, I think that's a really good principle for us to think about. Is there anything I can do before God with wise counsel? Is there anything I can do uh, for this relationship? And sometimes... The Bible says, as much as it lies within your power, Romans 12, verse 18, live peaceably with all people. But sometimes that other person makes some choices that I can't, you know, I can't take responsibility for. Uh, But God knows our heart. So that's good. Those seem to be the situations that God allows for. So, so uh, I, I think we have time for one last question before we go to the live questions. But um, uh, this, this question is kind of a follow-up on some of the things we talked about in the first week uh, when we talked about heaven. And um, some people had some more questions about what this is like and, and what it will be like. But the, the, the question specifically is, uh, will we worry about our loved ones when we're in heaven? And will we even remember our past lives? I love these questions about heaven. 
we're going to do a heaven series. I mean, I'm just convinced after this series, we need to hang out a little bit more in heaven. Amen? Mm-hmm. We need to think about, I'm going somewhere. I want to know what the accommodations are. Amen? Amen. I want to get excited about this place that God has created, and there's some wonderful things for us to learn together. Um, let's step back first and maybe answer this question. When we're in heaven, will we know what's happening on earth? Many people ask that question. Generally, Christians have said no. And here's why Christians have said no. Because the Bible says there are no more tears in heaven. So how could it be heaven if you see all this mess here on the earth, right? But actually, the Bible describes no more tears and crying and pain and all of that. The Bible really promises that in the new heaven. Remember we talked about? There's a place, there's a present heaven that we go, and then there's an ultimate heaven that God's going to create for us, the new heavens and the new earth. So many Christians believe that there's a couple of hints in the Bible, we don't know this with absolute certainty that I can tell, there's a couple of hints that yes, we can be aware in heaven of things that are going on here on this earth. I'll give you a couple of passages. Revelation 6, verses 6 through 9. It's not overly clear, but it could be implied there that those who are in heaven are observing what's going on during the tribulation, actually. Uh, Hebrews 11, or actually Hebrews 12, verse 1. That's a very commonly uh, quoted passage. Um, It says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside, and it kind of gives some more instruction. That can be interpreted a couple of ways, but one interpretation is that we have witnesses in heaven who are observing us running this race of life, and they're cheering us on. Now, I think we need to be a little careful about that, extrapolating that out, but honestly, the more I study God's Word, I think it might be true. Uh, another passage is Luke chapter um, 9, verses 30 through 31. In that passage, it's kind of interesting. Moses and Elijah appear on the Mount of Transfiguration. So they come from heaven to meet with Jesus there in that special moment. And it says they were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Moses and Elijah was, were aware, in some sense, of the plan that was unfolding. So again, some have said maybe that implies that they're in heaven watching this unfold and kind of cheering us on in the present heaven. Um, So that's not totally clear, but honestly, I kind of lean in that direction that uh, that we would, that that people can observe. Um, And and I don't know, we can only speculate. Here's here's, here's a thought I've had. I love my granddad. Um, My granddad was a huge influence on my life. And I've just thought uh, through the years, as my kids have had special moments, I wonder if the Lord would just peel back the curtain and let my granddad just see what his grandkids, his great-grandkids are doing. It sounds like the kind of thing God would do. Amen? So I don't know for sure, but I, I think there's, there's some indicators enough there that, that we could say maybe, very possibly. Um, will we worry about our loved ones? Well, that's a little bit... Uh, It doesn't sound like heaven if you're worrying, right? Some people believe, and I want to be a little bit careful of this because I don't want to go over into some false doctrine, but some people believe we don't pray to people in heaven. 
But the Bible does say that Jesus is praying for us. Some people believe that it's very possible that believers are cheering us on and talking to the Father on our behalf, praying for us as we're experiencing this life on the earth. So that doesn't mean they're worried about us per se, but it could be that they're engaged uh, through prayer, talking to the Lord about what's going on in our lives. And um, now let's be careful. We're not talking about uh, that your loved one is an angel that comes and stays close to you. We're not talking about seeing loved ones. The Bible teaches people don't come back from the dead. Things like that's not what we're talking about. We definitely do not pray to anyone else except Christ. So it's just kind of an interesting concept that maybe they see what's going on and they're cheering us on from heaven in that sense. I like that image. Thank you for uh, answering some of those questions that, that you've already submitted. And, and uh, we're going to take some time and, and do a couple of those that, that have been texted in even tonight. And so uh, we'll, we'll do a couple of those. Um, one of those is this. Uh, what is the difference between rejoicing in your pain and suffering versus being happy about the actual hurt? Hmm. That's a good question. I think we obviously can identify that God would not call us to be happy about the hurt. Um, the rejoicing part is what's difficult, right? What does it mean to rejoice? I think it goes back to what we were talking about a few moments ago. It's not our circumstances that we worship, but we worship the Lord. And so we find our contentment in Him. Um, in addition to that, this is something I've been learning. I'm, I haven't learned, but I am learning. I was talking with someone actually last week after the service who really encouraged me with this uh, because they seemed like they were really growing in this, and I'm still working on it. Uh, somehow in the midst of our suffering, we are growing closer to Christ. I do know the Lord better today than I did five years ago. And much of that is because of some intense difficulty in my life. So in that, I rejoice. And Paul talked about that. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 12. Uh, he talked about boasting in his weaknesses. Because when he's weak, then the Lord is strong. Um, so I, I think that's the sense of it is we're not happy about... Hey, listen, the Bible says you have not because you ask not. So I say, it's not going to be because I didn't ask. Amen? Lord, please take it away. Amen? Please take it away. Lord, please take it away. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, though, I asked the Lord three times, and the Lord said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. So Paul learned to have joy, contentment in his circumstances, and then also joy in the fact that God was growing him in Christ-likeness through it. So I hope that's helpful. Well, here's another one, and, and it kind of has to do, I mean, we've talked about marriage uh, over the past couple of weeks, and so this is kind of preparing for marriage. So what is a profitable discipline to develop in preparation for marriage? Hmm. I actually heard a pastor named Pastor Robbie on the radio this morning <laughs> talking about, I was, and I'm not narcissistic or anything like that. Whatever it would be abnormal to listen to yourself all the time. I was riding down the road, and, and I turned on uh, 91.9 and just happened to pop up. But um, this is a pretty mature thought that I think a lot of us who've been married for years are still working on. But Pastor Robbie said in that message that 
What if God created marriage not to make us happy, but to make us holy? So um, I think as you're preparing for marriage to really get your expectations correct, um, this is not necessarily who I've always longed for in my life. Now, there is some of that, isn't there? God gives us romance. God gives us connection. God gives us chemistry. That should not be written out of the equation. But Pastor Robbie said in that message that if you want to know if you're married to the right person, then look at your marriage certificate. (laughs) Mine says Shannon Langford. (laughs) So guess what? I'm supposed to be married to Shannon Langford. (laughs) And so really instead of... um, that question, did I marry the right person and struggle? You know, it's really God is working in my life to draw me closer to Himself. Who is the person that He might want to use to do that the most for the rest of my life? And even more important than that, who is the person God would use me to do that in their life for the rest of their life? So you really see marriage more as I'm, I'm a... I'm that person's servant to the max for the rest of my life. So that would be the one thing I would say is understand that marriage is not about making you happy, but about making you holy. Mm-hmm. That's really good. You know, we're, we're going to uh, continue to, as you send those questions in, we're going to find ways to kind of communicate those answers to you as well and uh, share with you. But uh, thank you so much for just spending some time with us and, and uh, looking at God's word together. And uh, is there anything that you'd like to say in closing? Like I said, I really appreciate you guys, just your heart, um, to really just want to know what God's will is for your life and to know what God's Word says, and hopefully we've done a good job of reflecting some of that, uh, reading God's Word and trying to understand together what does it mean, and, and even after the message, you know, as the service is over or you know, during the week or in your growth group, let's continue to, to massage those things, try to understand what God's saying to us, because ultimately that's, that's the point, Right? I want to understand what God's will is so I can live it out in my life. And hopefully that's what we're doing. So I want to ask us just before we close, just to bow our heads for a second and think about what we've shared together. Maybe we should ask this question. Why did God bring you here today? And that could be a broad range of things talked about marriage quite a bit. Maybe God's working in your home. We've talked about heaven. Are you excited about heaven? Does this world get you down sometimes? Is God wanting to encourage you right now? This world is not your home. You were created for more than this, and you know it. Don't get too settled in here. Maybe you should be concerned that you don't know if you're going there. And the promises, the hope that we've been sharing from God's Word are based upon the assumption that you have a personal relationship with God. Have you ever asked Jesus to come into your life to forgive you of your sins and to be your Savior? And you can do that right now. The Bible says in Romans 10, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Would you say, Jesus, I need you to save me. 
I know I can't do this on my own. I thank you for dying for my sins. And I ask you to come into my heart and be my Savior. Maybe God's driving you to study His Word more. Maybe God's giving you an answer so that you can take a next step in your life and have confidence of that question that you've been struggling with. Father, right now, Lord, I pray that you've used Chris and I as your servants to bring out the questions that you wanted brought out, to bring out the verses that you wanted to answer them, to do them in a faithful and a godly way. Father, I pray that you would use this time to help each one of us to take that next step in our walk with you. And Lord, thank you for our people. Thank you for these precious people who are so hungry to know you and to follow you and to honor you. What a privilege it is to serve with them and to serve them. And God, I pray if there's something that you're wanting to do in someone's life that they would not leave this room before they get that right with you. We love you, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.